Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Ormo campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Last Sunday, we kicked off our Presence series, really just something that God's placed on the heart of our church for this year is we believe that we are, uh, as a church, just have to learn to become more aware of the presence of God. And our God just desires to presence himself with us. He is present with us. I spoke about that last week. We don't need to go searching for the presence of God. He is present with us. He is present with us here today. And the Holy Spirit is active and at work in our midst. And so we don't need to go searching for that. But sometimes there's a challenge for us just to align our lives to an awareness of the presence of God. And I reckon today could be my most unpopular message of this series because I'm going to talk to you about something that, to be quite frank, I don't like to talk about. So uh, please forgive me and don't check out. Let's do this journey together. But before I get to that, this this week our life group, uh, our life group started a couple of weeks ago and um, we've been challenged by our leader to get into God's Word, a bunch of blokes that, you know, we can find a hundred excuses, why not, to dig into the Word of God, and the Word of God is life, and so we've been challenged to get into the Word of God, and Daryl's kind of brought out the Bible reading plans and said, come on guys, we're going to hold each other accountable, and tried to spark the competitiveness in a bunch of blokes, saying, look, you don't want to fall behind on this, and this is just my reminder, guys, get into it, but anyway, little confession leading up to group this week. We were we, two weeks into this. I was a little bit behind, so I cheated. I thought, you know, I've been reading other spaces and in, in doing my messages and stuff, but I really wanted to track with my life group, and so I was a bit behind, and I cheated, and I put the audio Bible on in my car. And I thought, I, I'm just, I'm driving a lot this week. I'm going to catch up and overtake a few of these blokes. And some of them are technologically Terrible, so they have no idea you can even do this. So I'm just listening to the words spoken, and whatever translation I chose was terrible. The guy who was reading it, just his voice, it was almost comical because he was putting on his own voices. And you know, you go from the narrator's voice to the voice of God to the voice of Satan, all just it was, it wasn't great. But I was listening to him speak, and it's interesting, isn't it, when the word of God just cuts through? And I, I heard something that I've probably read a hundred times. But I heard it and it just sat with my spirit. It's in the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus is calling his first disciples and it says that Jesus comes to two brothers, Peter and Andrew, and they're out in their place of work, fishing. And Jesus says to them, come and follow me. And it says that immediately they left what they were doing and they followed Jesus. Further down the road, Jesus finds two brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father fixing nets. And Jesus says to them, Come and follow me. And it says that they left their nets, they left their father in the boat, and they followed Jesus. And as I'm hearing this spoken through the speakers of my car, something just grabbed my spirit. Because there was something incredible about what happened to these four guys and a bunch of others that accepted the call to follow Jesus. In that moment, they chose to follow someone they probably didn't know that much about. He had some reputation. They'd heard a little bit about him, but they took the risk of jumping into the adventure of following this guy named Jesus. Now, it wasn't unfamiliar in the first century for uh, people to go and follow a great teacher or rabbi and learn from them and be their disciple. So these guys didn't do something that was completely uh, unheard of, but when Jesus called, they went. The thing that struck me was Jesus called those four and eight others, 12 
people to sit around him as he did ministry and as he went and he taught and he performed miracles and he spoke about the kingdom of God and they were there and they observed him hung on a cross and they were there on the beach having fish and chips with him after his resurrection. Jesus pulled these guys together and of the 12 that came, 11, 11 survived. One chose to allow the, something else and there's a whole bunch of theories as to why Judas did what Judas did but something else got in the way of Judas wanting to follow the life that Jesus had called him into. But the other 11, they didn't just follow Jesus, they ended up throwing everything in for him. They gave everything for him. And, and history and tradition would suggest that every one of Jesus' disciples ended up losing their life for the sake of the gospel of Jesus. Now I reckon 11 from 12 is a pretty good strike rate. It, it says, what it says to me is that there is something compelling something utterly compelling that happens when we dig deep into the life of Jesus. That there's something that compels us to forget about everything else, not worry about everything else, to want to throw everything else away and give all when we dig deep into the life of Jesus. You know, I reckon we so often live lives that want to hedge our bets a little bit. You know, we want a little bit of Jesus, but we still want a lot of control over the outcome. So we give a little bit of ourselves to things of God and things of faith and, and living out the life of Jesus, but we don't want to go too deep into that life because we're scared that we're going to lose control. We want Him, but we don't always live like we need Him. Our go-to place is not the presence of God because we choose to retreat to other places that we have told ourselves give us ultimate comfort, pleasure, sustenance and satisfaction. Jesus encounters a guy, he calls these disciples and they leave everything and follow him. He encounters another guy and it's recorded in the scriptures who we're just known as the rich young ruler. And he says, Jesus, can I come and follow you? And he says to the rich young ruler, go sell everything and come back and let's have the conversation. Now we talk a lot about this, like it's a story about wealth. I actually think it's a story about the heart because the others left everything to follow Jesus. He wanted to have a little bit of Jesus, but maintain control with everything else. And your issue or your challenge mightn't be letting go of wealth because you might go, man, I don't have no issues with the rich young ruler story because that's not my story. But your issue might just be control or power or relationship or God, I want to follow you as long as it fits within the bounds of how I want to define my life and the outcomes of my life. But I don't think there's a life that isn't all in for Jesus. The middle ground is not the place that we believe it to be. Jesus himself says it. He writes a letter that's recorded in the book of Revelation. He writes it to a church in a place called Laodicea. And he says this, I know your deeds that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. In other words, go all in for me or go all out for sin. The middle ground is not a place to live. He says, you're neither hot nor cold. So I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. And that's pretty harsh. That's not a letter I, I hope Jesus would want to write to us. But he writes it to a church. He says, you say I'm rich, I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing. And here's the thing, isn't it? You just see their circumstance. Jesus speaks to their circumstance. He says, you think you've got it. You've made it. You're in control. And so what you need from me is just a little bit of Jesus, but a lot of the world that I've created for myself. He says, I'm rich, I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realise that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. We get this illustration. I poured this coffee about half an hour ago. 
And it, it's now like, I don't want to drink it. Like it's not piping hot, but no one's filled it with cream, sugar, milk and stuck it in a fridge and put an ice break sticker on it either. Like there's nothing like a lukewarm coffee to turn you off your breakfast. That's what Jesus says. Don't You can't live with a foot in both camps. It doesn't work. You know, I, I reckon there's something in us that has this great fear. Even right now, I reckon some of you are physically in your body clamming up thinking, man, the minute we talk about going deep into the things of God, man, that's for all the crazy nutcases out there. It's like we tell ourselves that there's something in it that's for people on the fringe. Like we have this fear that we're going to lose something of ourselves if we dig deep into Jesus and give 100% for him. We feel like we're going to lose the joy and we're going to lose the fun and we're going to lose the banter and we're going to lose our mates. You know, I don't see that in Jesus. I, I actually don't see that those things get lost. Some of us fear the ridicule of going all out. Some of us have just decided that we're not good enough or holy enough or spiritual enough for God to want to get that close to us. But I want to ask a question this morning. What if diving deep into the things of God is actually the place where we find the thing that we fear we lose the most, which is life in its fullest? What if diving deep into God isn't a loss, it's actually an absolute gain? of a life complete in peace, in joy, in grace, in freedom. And I could go on. The Apostle Paul gets this. Philippians 3. Whatever were gains to me, and he had it all. He's just listed a list of his accomplishments, where he stood in life. He probably had great means and wealth, but he says, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness or the right standing that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and, his particip- and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, so somehow attaining to resurrection of the dead. Paul just says, I, everything I got, everything I gained, everything that I thought brought me joy, peace, life, fulfilment, purpose, that's actually garbage to me now because I've discovered something so much greater. It is where life is actually found in the fullness of God and in Jesus so I want to invite us today, before we tune out, before we sign out ourselves out of this message, before we decide that this is a message for someone else, that today this is an invitation for every single one of you that is sitting in the pews. This isn't a message for someone else. This is a message and an invitation for you today because God wants you to experience life in its fullest. You know, we are going to start tomorrow a season as a church, 21 days of prayer and fasting. An invitation for us both individually and corporately to hunger together after the presence of God. And today I want to talk about that ancient practice known as fasting. And as I said, for some of us today, this is going to be the message that we wish we'd checked the run sheet and gone to McDonald's for breakfast this morning instead. Because we don't really want to hear the challenge, but I'm going to talk practically about what 21 days looks like for us later. Don't freak out. Don't think, 
well, I'm already out because I can't not eat for 21. No, 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 there's a whole bunch of ways we're going to invite you to engage in this. So let me get to that later. But let me start with a big confession and a big caveat. If I'm going to stand here with integrity and talk to you about fasting, I need to be really honest about my journey with it. And I need to say this. I have actively spent my life trying to avoid this spiritual discipline. I've done everything in my power to avoid it. There's been times when I've half-heartedly entered into it. There's been moments where, if I'm really honest, I've probably just not faked it, but done enough so others didn't ask me the questions as to whether I was... You guys get it easy, right? I work for a church. When someone walks in and says, we're calling the church to prayer and fasting today, you can't go to the coffee shop for morning, like in the morning. You can't go get a biscuit. There's no lunch hour in the church on a day of prayer and fasting. Problem is, I walked into some of those days of prayer and fasting with a really bad attitude about it because I felt like someone else was telling me I had to do it and I didn't want to do it. And I'm a rebel at heart, just like a whole bunch of you. <laughs> so I've got to be really honest with you. I've actively avoided this discipline. I've not just avoided it. I've, when I heard that we were going to be talking about it at the start of this year, I thought to myself, I wonder if there is a remote Western Australian township that needs a visit from me on this weekend so someone else can bring the message on fasting. Who wants to hear from me now? Who's feeling really confident with your pastor? You know what, if you don't like me being on from the stage, I'm really sorry, but you're messed up too, so. <laughs> so I'm going to talk about my journey because that was my hard attitude and has been for a long time. I mean, look at me, it's obvious that food is a great passion of my life. But God has started to do something. You have to understand that there's a driving force for me every time I stand on this stage and in this pulpit that the things I speak to you about, I do with integrity. I'm never just going to give you a message where I'm going to pretend like I've got it all together and I don't. That's why I want to start in a place of complete honesty with you this morning. But as I've started to dig deep into the Scriptures, God started to churn something in my spirit that today my message is a call for all of us to step into something together. And I'm going to just take a a guess that for many of us, this will be the first time. Well, the good news is let's do it together for the first time. If this has been a practice of yours, and I know some of you have engaged actively in this throughout your life, and I hear story after story after story about what God does when people were obedient to his call to fast. So my message today comes a little bit as a novice, but it's an invitation for a whole bunch of other novices to engage in something that I believe God wants to use in us and in our church to do something profound in these next 21 days. So if you've decided this isn't for you, because obviously this is something for all the super spiritual ones, well, I just joined your camp and we can talk about it together. So to my message, why have I actively avoided fasting? Because food is really good, isn't it? Who just knows that food's really good? I I, I missed breakfast this morning and I was coming to church and I said, to Chrissy, uh, we had we had sick kids at home, so she said I, I just was trying to get out of the house before someone else was sick and got wrapped into that. She said, "Are you gonna have you had breakfast?" I said, no, "I was going to get coffee this morning. The raffles on the way there, and I got there and the line was long. So I'm here. I haven't had my morning coffee. Or I haven't had breakfast this morning, and it's not a good thing." 
because food is really good. I love food. I love the social nature of food. I love the satisfying outcome of when you fill your belly with something that makes you feel satisfied. I love the taste of food. Talking right now, I can just smell crispy bacon on toasted Turkish bread, lathered in hollandaise sauce. (sighs) Sorry about that. Anyone with me? With sautéed mushrooms and hash browns and wilted spinach just for garnish. And a barista-made vanilla latte. Like, oh, man, I love food. And here's the thing, food is good. Food is a gift from God. It's not just a gift to fuel us that does that, but it is a gift that I see in the scripture that people gathered around in celebration, to, to feast and to celebrate, to come together when the kingdom of God broke through. And when you read pictures of when Christ returns, there's, there's pictures of feasting and banquets. When God set the law for ancient Israel, guess what they were called to come together to do? Not to mourn, but to feast and to celebrate. Food is good. It's a gift from God. So why then fast if food is a good gift from God? Well, let me start with a definition. This comes from a guy by the name of John Piper. Some of you would be familiar with him. He just says this, fasting is a temporary renunciation of something that in itself is good, like food, in order to intensify our expression of need for something greater. Namely, God and his work in our lives. Let me say that again. Fasting is a temporary renunciation of something that in itself is good, like food, in order to intensify our expression of need for something greater, namely God and his work in our lives. So fasting is an active, decisive period of physical hunger that reminds us of our deep spiritual hungering for more of God. Fasting isn't a miracle. Let me just tell you that. I've never heard anyone say, I fasted and supernaturally I didn't feel hungry. If you engage in this season, you will feel hungry. But I actually think that's part of it because it's in those moments of hunger that we're invited when our every desire is to go and fill our belly with physical food. The invitation is in those moments we turn to something else and we choose to fill our spirits with a spiritual food that is much greater than anything that will fill our belly. You see, the hunger and the feeling of hunger is part of the thing that actually draws us into a place of being aware of God and His presence in every moment of our day. So going without food for a season is an invitation to lean more into God for strength because we know we go to food to find our strength. But God says, I don't want you to go to the physical things of life to find your strength. I want you to come to me. Instead of going to food to find our sustenance, God says, I want to show you that the ultimate place of sustenance in life is with me. Instead of going to food for comfort, God says, I want to show you that the ultimate place of comfort is me. Fasting and the invitation for us to fast together as a church is an invitation to learn to hunger for God above all things in life, to take that deep dive in and say, I'm all in God. What is it I need to hear? What is it I need to repent from? What is it that we can pray into together? What breakthrough is it that you want to see in my life? God, how do I become more attentive to your presence? 
in my life. You know, neglecting food is a powerful trigger because as our stomach aches for the physical food, we're invited to allow a whole being, body, soul and spirit, to hunger for something that's much greater. I've used this passage many times, but Deuteronomy 6, as the Israelites are about to step into the promised land, God says this, uh, it says this, when the Lord your God brings you to the land he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, to give you a land with large flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Listen to this. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful you do not forget the Lord. You see, there's something about living life where we look to worldly pleasures as our sustenance, our comfort and our satisfaction that can distract us from allowing God to be that in every way in our life. So let's dig a bit deeper into Scripture this morning. I'm going to jump all over the place. For the sake of my poor son on media, I haven't put every Scripture up because he'd be flicking through 400 slides. But let's just jump into it. Because one of the things we see when we start to do a biblical snapshot, and you know what? It's actually as I jumped into the Word of God and I started to look at all the people and all the passages that teach about fasting and talk about fasting, that God challenged me. And I've had to come to that place of repentance myself, saying, God, I've actively avoided this, but I've been missing out on something that you've actually given to us as a gift. And I hope this morning as I just jump really quickly through a whole bunch of stories in the Scripture, you're going to be challenged likewise. You see, when you look at fasting in the Scripture, there's something that stands out and it's really important for us to get this from the very start. Fasting is not transactional. Fasting is not about manipulating God to do the things we want. We're not here today to say, guys, we've got a whole bunch of really important stuff that we need to see happen and we need to try and twist God's arm into it. So for the next 21 days, we're going to act like we're really pious towards Him so that He might actually look upon us with faith. No, no, fasting is not about manipulating the will of God. It's not a transactional thing. We don't fast to get God to do stuff for us, even though fasting often is followed by breakthrough. We fast just to allow God to become our everything. Theologian Scott McKnight says this, fasting is not magical and there are no guarantees. Fasting is not a technique we ply that makes things happen just because we ply it. Fasting is what happens to the person who yields the whole person, body, soul, spirit, heart and mind to God. So let me give you a snapshot through the Scriptures of where we find fasting in the Scriptures. Firstly, we see fasting for wisdom. People that fasted as they sought God for wisdom. And it was always a response to the need for utter dependence on God. People that got to the end and just said, I don't know what next step to take. I don't know what to do with the army that's before me. I don't know what to do, God. We are utterly dependent on you for everything. And so people fasted in response seeking God's wisdom in the midst of their fast. The book of Esther, it's a great book and Esther's one of the great heroes of the biblical story. I, I can't unpack it all for you, but to give you a little snapshot, Esther was in the middle of a great drama where she was, uh, she was in relationship with the king and there was this guy by the name of Haman who was jealous of the Jews and didn't like the fact that they worshipped another God. And so Haman actually twisted the king's arm to order a genocide of all the Israelite people. Now Mordecai, another hero of the story, comes to Esther, who is also a Jew, and says, Esther, guess what? The king has just given an edict that all the Jews are going to be annihilated. There's going to be a genocide. Esther, you've got to go to the king. Now you've got to understand in the story, it wasn't kosher for Esther to go to the king. There was a, there was a process for her to walk into the king's presence. 
But Mordecai says, Esther, you've got to go and you've got to plead with the king. And this is what it says, Esther says. Esther 4. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. And when this is done, I will go to the king, even though it's against the law. And if I perish, I perish. You see, fasting in the Scripture is used in moments where people say, we don't know the next step to take. God, we need your wisdom and we're just going to pour out our hearts to you and lay at your mercy. So fasting was for wisdom. Fasting is a place where people plead to God for breakthrough. Often a response to grief and anguish. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, it tells the story of Hannah. And Hannah one day is praying and everyone's looking and someone actually thinks that she's drunk. She is so overwhelmed with emotion. This is what the story tells us. Once they'd finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. And now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow. You see, Hannah didn't have any kids and she was desperate. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you'll only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I'll give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will be used on his head. She kept on praying to the Lord and Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. And Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I'm a woman who is deeply troubled. I've not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take me for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. And Eli answered, go in peace and may the Lord, the God of Israel, grant you what you have asked of him. And she said, may your servant find favour in your eyes. Then she went away and she ate something. In other words, we find out that accompanied with this prayer of grief and anguish, Hannah went away and ate something. And it says, and her face felt no longer downcast. There's something about the food element that actually picked her up. But you see that, isn't it? I've sat with people in utter grief. And the last thing on their mind is filling their food full of, is filling their stomach full of food. And so people often as a response to grief, when someone died or when a great tragedy took over a nation, would fast, corporately fast in their grief. There's a, a tragic story where David, son to Bathsheba is sick and dying and and David fasts for seven days pleading to God to save his son and his son doesn't survive you see fasting doesn't always bring the magical outcome that we want Hannah in the midst of her grief God blessed her with a son who was named Samuel the great man of God You see, sometimes we fast as a response to grief or anguish. Sometimes we fast for breakthrough. Come before God and say, there's there's a mountain in front of us, God, and we don't know where to go, and we need your breakthrough. Great king by the name of Jehoshaphat. Who's heard of Jehoshaphat? Don Francisco used to sing a song about Jehoshaphat. Does anyone know who Don Francisco is? I have these random memories as a kid. For some reason, I can remember the song Jehoshaphat. Went something a little bit like this. He wants to, you know, you don't need to hear that. He sang a song about King Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was king of Jerusalem a long, long time ago when the children of Judah all worshipped the Lord from the high on down to the low. Judah was a wealthy kingdom 
and all God's children were fed. Oh, I was hoping for some encouragement. So Jehoshaphat studied the word of the Lord and did everything. He said, now out of the east came an army one day. After Jehoshaphat's goal, and that's where I forget it. I just thought that was going to be cooler than just reading another big chunk of scripture. That gets into the story. Jehoshaphat, a good king. Jerusalem was going well. An army comes and comes up against Jehoshaphat. And they come and say, Jehoshaphat, we're in trouble here. The Moabites and the Ammonites and some of the Meonites came to wage war against him. And some people came and told him, a vast army is coming against you from Edom. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. And then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built a sanctuary for your name. If calamity comes upon us, whether the word of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in distress and you'll hear us and save us. And then listen to this. The spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of a whole bunch of others. And he stood in the assembly and he said, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army for the battle is not yours, but God's. There was something in this moment where there was a mountain in front of the people of Israel and they could not see the way forward because the enemy that was coming against them was much greater than the resources they had to defeat it. And so where do they go in their moment of need? To the strategy room, to the war chest, to their own good intentions. No, there's moments in life where our own good intentions, our own smart thinking can't bring the breakthrough because what is coming against us is bigger than anything in a human sense. So what do they do? They get on their knees, they neglect food, they start praying out to God, they fast and they say, God, what do we do? And God says, don't worry about it. It's not your battle anymore, this is my battle. And the story goes on, it's a great story, it goes on to say God goes out before them and defeats their enemies. You see, we can come into a season of fasting, pleading God for breakthrough. Nehemiah, when he hears of the crumbled wall in Jerusalem, falls in prayer and fasting as the wall is destroyed. In Acts 13, the apostles fast together and God instructs them in the midst of their fast to anoint Saul and Barnabas or Paul and Barnabas for the work that I've called them. And Saul and Barnabas became the missionaries that actually took the gospel to the far ends of the earth. It is something in the power of the fast that invites God to bring the breakthrough. And we're going to together over these next 21 days pray for some breakthroughs in our church. There's also fasting for repentance. Fasting is a response to life's solemn moments. And there's a story in Judges 20, the first time we actually used the word fast is used in the Scriptures. It talks of Moses fasted when he got the law of the Lord. But Judges 20, in the midst of a great battle and a great calamity and great grief, repenting for their sin, the Israelites fasted. Moses comes down the mountain after receiving the law of the Lord and sees that they're worshipping 
an idol that they fashioned while he was up there in the presence of God on Mount Sinai. And it says that he came down the mountain and he mourned and he grieved and he fasted for 40 days and pleaded with God for the sin of the people. Number five, and there's only six, we're nearly there. So fasting is for wisdom. Fasting is used to plead to God as a response to our anguish or grief. Fasting is seen as a, a place of seeking God for breakthrough. Fasting is a response to life's solemn moments in repentance. Fasting is a response to our broken world. We fast because we desire the kingdom hope of Jesus to break through. We, we used this passage a couple of weeks ago, but John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting and some people came and asked Jesus, how is it John's disciples and the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? And Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he's with them? Fasting, I don't think, will exist when we're in the presence of Jesus for all eternity. Hallelujah, praise you, God. But Jesus says, but the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. And on that day, they will fast. See, Jesus doesn't, nowhere in the scripture are we commanded that we have to fast. Jesus assumes it a number of times, but he says, you know what? My disciples aren't fasting because I'm here. I want to leave. Even the spirit of God that, will be with them, they will fast because they will just crave the kingdom of God to break through. So we fast in kingdom hope as a response to our broken world. And finally, I want to say this, we fast because it was a good idea for Jesus. Jesus baptised in the room of Jordan, heaven opens, the voice of the Father comes, this is my son with whom I am pleased. Jesus doesn't go to a party, Jesus walks into the desert from that moment where he fasted for 40 days. And the enemy came against him and tempted him and Jesus stood firm, just kept quoting back the word of God to the temptations of the enemy. You see, there's something that happens when you actually take time to dig deep into the things of God and when in this season of fasting you turn to, to the bread, the word of God to actually fill your spirit. He's gonna give you some things that are gonna help you stand against temptation and sin because you're actually gonna learn more about his heart. And Jesus, who knew the word of God when the temptation came against him, even though he's hungry, 40 days in, the devil comes and says, just turn those rocks into bread, Jesus, and have something to eat. And he goes, no, 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 no. No, no, and he quotes scripture at him. You see, it was a good idea for Jesus to fast. And so I reckon if anything's a good idea for Jesus to do, Jesus did it as he launched his ministry and he stepped out of there. And he started preaching in power and seeing the power of God at work every step of his journey. So fasting was a good idea because it was a good idea for Jesus. As I read that, you know what God did in my spirit? Gave me a big size 12 steel cap boot kick in the backside. He said, how do you miss that stuff? See what happens when my people... When my people choose to actually employ some of these practices that actually say, God, I need you to be my sufficiency. I need you to be my sustenance. I need you to be my everything. And fasting is an invitation for us to humble ourselves and lean in to the things of God. Let me talk to some practicalities before I get the band back up. We as a church, not just Ormo, the whole of Gateway, over the next 21 days, starting tomorrow, is being invited into a season of prayer and fasting. And I want to invite all of us this morning to consider where it's something we're going to participate in individually. 
Let me give you some really practical things and you'll find on the front here today, some of you got it last week, it's online, is a booklet that talks about fasting and some of the practical things you can do. Because the first thing I want to say is this, be wise. Be wise. Any young people here, before you engage in this, you've got to go talk to your parents and let them talk you through what this looks like and what's smart and wise and healthy for you. If you carry significant medical issues, maybe you need to go talk to a doctor or someone professional. If you're running a marathon this week, it's probably not smart for you to go without food in the lead up to that. But if you're just like me and you're looking for any excuse in the world and you like your food, well, drop your excuses. But be wise about it. For some of you, the challenge out of this today is that over the next 21 days, you're going to choose one day where you're going to choose to fast. And if you have the capacity, I want to encourage you, go without food. If you have the capacity and it's healthy for you to do that, go without food. Some of us are going to go, oh, I'm just going to have one sugar in my coffee, not two. You're just going to keep filling your belly with other stuff. It's, it's, there's something about being hungry that actually draws us into the space of hunger and after more of God. Some of you over the next 21 days are just going to choose one day in those 21 where you're going to do it. Some of you might say, for the next three weeks, I'm just going to, Monday's going to be my day. Monday's a good day for me to do it. Monday's going to be my day. There's going to be some space on my Monday where come lunchtime, instead of going to the lunchroom, I can just go out for a walk and I can just bring things to God in prayer. For some of you, you're going to choose to fast a meal for a season, for a couple of days, or maybe you're going to skip a meal for the whole of the 21 days. Some of you might be invited into a longer season over the next 21. That's between you and God and nobody else. And as I said, just be wise about what that looks like. Get some advice or some input in that booklet. Some of you young guys, you might, you might just be in a season of school where you just need to be switched on and, and food's going to be really important for fueling you. Maybe your commitment over the next 21 days is you're going to go off social media. Or the whole point though is when the spirit hungers for that, turn to something else. So when you fast on that day, when you're sitting there at lunchtime moaning how hungry you are, it's the time to pick up the word and sit there and go, okay, God, I just want to spend some time praying. If you've never prayed, if it's not a discipline that's easy or comfortable for you, just have a conversation with God, just tell him what's going on for you. Just tell him the things that are frustrating you, the things that you'd like to see him do. It's not, there's no special prayer language. There's just a conversation with God. So in those moments where you hunger for one thing, turn to God and let him speak to you. When you turn to God, open his word, spend some time in prayer, sit in silence. This isn't just about telling God what we need. It's about listening to God for what he wants to say to us. Lots of people I talk to about fasting say the experience for them was they stepped in really believing for one thing and stepped out not seeing that happen but see God do something completely different. You know why? Because I reckon when we fast, we start to not try and manipulate God's will towards what we want but we start to align ourselves with God's wills and purposes because we've got time to hear it. So find your space. I encourage all of us in the next 21 days to find our space. In the booklet you'll find there's been some topics that have been put over different days. It might just be a guide. They don't have to be. They might just be a guide for you to uh, pray into. Pray for our young people. I just reckon if you're fasting on a Friday, pray for our young people in our church. Let's together do that. So individually find your thing. I want to encourage us to do something corporately. I, I, something that just God placed on my spirit this week and this is a little bit rushed and not as wonderfully creative as we usually would do with some time, but I would love for us as a church here at Ormo to cover our church in prayer and fasting for the next 21 days. 
So it's, it's just a chance for all of us to do this corporately together. And so I've got every date up that we're going to be doing this for. And you might just want to choose a day. You might want to choose a couple of days. It's encouraged at the end of the service as, as part of your response just to go, God, I'm in this. I just want for 21 days for us to cover this place continually in prayer and fasting. Please fill this out because if there's gaps, you know what that means for the pastor, don't you? I really need you guys to jump into this. You know what? There's days that, you know, God's already put a rhythm in me. I'm not doing 21 days without food, but God's given me a rhythm, a big chunk that he's called me to do in the midst of this. And so I want to invite you if you just want to be part of a day. If you put your name down there, what we're going to do is on that day, we're going to email you in the morning. If, if, you're part, if you're new to us, please on your way out, go see our Connect team so we get your details. But we'll just send you an email that morning just with some things to pray for or some updates about what that God's doing and some things that might, you might be able to sit in on that day. But if you'd like to be part of that, we'd love you to do that, to cover our campus in prayer for the next 21 days. You know what? I reckon God's calling us to pray for some breakthroughs in some pretty significant areas of our church. You know, the one thing that sits stronger on me than anything else, I love so much about this church. I love so much about the ministries of this church. I love so much about the people of this church. But you know, the yearning in my spirit I, mean, I just had this yearning that we're just not seeing enough people walking from darkness to light through our community. And so I want us to pray that people would come to faith through our community. And we're going to fast and we're going to pray together for the next 21 days. And you're going to have people in your sphere of influence, in your neighbourhood, in your workplace, in your family. They're going to be the names that you're going to pray out in those times. That's cool. We're going to pray with you in that. But I just want to pray that God would break something so that we would regularly and consistently see people walk out of darkness and into life, had their life transformed by the power of God's Holy Spirit, walk into freedom, walk into grace. We're going to pray for that breakthrough. We're going to pray for God's guidance as we continue to seek His guidance and His wisdom for our future. We don't want to run ahead and, and we talk about finding a permanent presence. We're going to pray specifically into that over these next 21 days, but we don't run ahead in our own timing or in our own might. We want to hear the voice of God and the direction of God's lead in that. And thirdly, we're going to plead together for those in our community, in our church community, that right now are carrying a sickness or a health issue that they're just praying desperately for breakthrough in. As I said, fasting's not magical. There's no promises, but we're going to sit in this. We're going to ask for God just to do a powerful work. So we'd love to sit and pray for breakthrough for the sick in our community. Hannah, you can come join me. Sorry, I, I gave her a Bible passage and then I've used a hundred, so. Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, talks about fasting. He says this, When you fast, do not look sombre as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. In other words, here's the next challenge. And once that's filled in today, it's disappearing. No one's going to know your name's on it, right? No one's going to know the personal choice that you make. Here's the challenge. When you're fasting, you're not rocking up to work, all bedraggled, walk into the lunch hour. And then someone goes, where's your lunch? Oh, I'm starving, but I'm in the midst of a fast. I'm just seeking the things of God over the things of the flesh. Whew. Who's ever done that? Want to, want to let everybody know what you're doing. <laughs> you know what Jesus says? Don't be like the hypocrites. They want everyone to know they're fasting. He says, when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face. 
In other words, get up, have a shower, comb your hair, brush your teeth and put a smile on your face. That's the 2020 equivalent of what Jesus is saying. So that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen and your Father who sees what done is in secret will reward you. You see, this is Jesus' point. If you want the reward of other people's applause, let everybody know you're fasting. Don't comb your hair, whinge about how hungry you are. Mope around, tell them you can't come to life group because you've got no energy. Just do whatever you need to do to let everybody know because guess what? They'll all think you're awesome and there's your reward right there. No, Jesus says that, no. Resolve in your spirit what you're gonna do and then do it. Put a smile on your face, iron your shirt, comb your hair, brush your teeth, and step into it because this is not about what other people think. This is about you engaging with me. And so church, there's the message from the novice who God has convicted deeply in my spirit, in my role in this church and in my role as a follower of His, that this is a really important season for us. I want to invite you to be part of it. Let's do this together. Let's try this together. Let's, let's just have a go at seeing what God wants to do. Let's, let's, next time I preach this message, I'm looking forward to the stories that are gonna come because of the next 21 days because I've heard others speak on it and they've got all these great personal stories and I'm like, God, I'll just be making that up and I'm not gonna do that. But next time, it's gonna be some good stories because of what God does in our midst. So would you do it with this church? Yeah, you know, our Wednesday night prayer gatherings kick off again this week. Campus prayer, we've moved it from Tuesday night this year to Wednesday night. Six till seven at our care centre. So six to seven, starting this Wednesday night. Uh, Jimmy's going to be leading prayer this week. It's going to be a night of worship and prayer. There's going to be lots of singing. There's going to be lots of chance just to listen to what God wants to say and pray. But if you're in the midst of fasting this week, come to prayer on Wednesday night. The following Wednesday night, I'm going to be leading prayer. We're going to have a night where we're going to specifically pray for people for healing. So that's Wednesday week. But come to our prayer meetings through this season. Be part of just standing with your church family and praying to God for breakthrough. What is it that you're gonna do? And what is it that God wants to do in us and through us in this season? Hey, as we finish this morning, here's how we're gonna respond. You have the chance as we finish to come and if you feel like you wanna be part of that, please don't do this out of obligation. I've been there too many times. I don't want you to have to have the embarrassment of acknowledging a group of people that you faked it just to fit in. Don't do it. Like just if you don't feel God compelling you to it. As I said, He's not gonna look down on you because there's no command in Scripture that says you must fast. If you wanna be in my good books, you must fast. So don't feel pressured into this, but God's just stirring something in your spirit. Even last night, I just just about finished my message and I'm like, oh, I don't wanna do this, God. I like my food. And He kept saying, just calling you into something. Add your name to that list. On the tables at the front are some little prayer cards. Because one of the things we want to do is we want to stand with each other for breakthrough in these 21 days. I want to give you the chance just as we finish to take one of these cards that you'll find on the table. Come to these tables at the front. It's just a presence card on the back. It just says, my prayer. Don't have to worry about Dagan's write your prayer. And it might just be, this is my prayer, God. This is the prayer that I'm praying. I'd love my church to stand with me in that prayer. It might be about your health. It might be a relational situation. It might be for your family. It might be something for our church or one of the ministries in our church. But whatever it is that your prayer is, your personal prayer, I'd love you to write it this morning. We're gonna use those at our prayer nights. We might use some of those on our Sundays. So you you just put whatever detail on there you're happy to put on there. If 
We're happy to pray for people by name if you're comfortable to give us that, but we will be using these and sharing them with people who are praying and fasting. So let's be aware of that. But as we respond today, maybe come fill in a prayer card, the thing that you just deeply desire God to bring personal. What's your, what's your prayer? God, I don't know how to get past this mountain in front of me. Right now, I'm just desperate for you. We'd love to pray with you in that. Why don't we stand this morning? God, I just want to commit these next 21 days to you and to your glory. For those right now that are going to, with me, enter this for the very first time. Lord, not half-heartedly or not just trying to fit in with the crowd. Lord, as I've, I, I repent, God, now that it's been me in the past. But Father, you're calling me into something different. You're going to call a whole bunch of us into something new and something different in these next three weeks. God, we're not going to ask you to do everything we need you to do. We're just going to ask you to do whatever it is you want to do. May our will be aligned to yours. May we hear your voice. May we see you at work. May we see breakthrough. May we experience your blessing. God, may we as a church learn to make you our everything. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to connect with you. Please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click on Get Connected to let us know.